Good morning, brothers and sisters. Since just past Thursday, we celebrated the great solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and Friday we celebrated the Feast of St. Juan Diego, and Monday we celebrate the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. I thought it was more than appropriate that I focus primarily on the Blessed Mother today. And I want to present to you a question that you should ask yourself when Jesus says in the Gospel that there has been no man born of woman greater than John the Baptist. Does this mean he's the greatest of the greatest? We obviously hold up the Blessed Mother as, as the greatest of all Christ's disciples. Yet Jesus clearly states, the Word of God clearly states that none born of woman has ever been greater than John. Now, of course, Jesus adds a clarification. However, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What is our Lord referring to? What is the kingdom of heaven? Heaven isn't just heaven where the saints are. Obviously, John the Baptist is up there. Because Christ says that the kingdom of heaven is among you. He is the kingdom of heaven. Christ is the king. His body is the kingdom. And anyone who is a member of Christ's body is a member of the kingdom. He says, so the least member of my kingdom, of my body, is clearly greater than John because I'm greater than John. John was never on earth a member of the kingdom. He was never baptized. He had his own baptism. He did a different baptism. He baptized Jesus. But he was never baptized by the Lord. He never received a single sacrament of the church. So yes, apart from the church, the body of Christ and her sacraments, John is the greatest human ever born. But the smallest baby who has been baptized is greater than he. Not because they've earned it or done something amazing, but because of what they've received, what they've been given by Christ in his kingdom. They have been made members of the body of Christ. Christ is obviously greater than John, therefore any member of his body is greater than John. And we believe, rightly so, that the Blessed Mother is the greatest member of that body. Now, she also was never baptized, at least not in the way you and I think. But she received not only the grace of baptism, but even more at the moment of her conception, right? She was immaculately conceived. And the reason for this was because the kingdom of heaven, the body of Christ, would actually come from her body. She is not the body of Christ but she helped make the body of Christ. No one else can claim that honor. When our Lord built up a body for himself, he took the DNA from her, her cells. And for the unique grace that was bestowed upon her in her conception that enabled her to become the mother of the Savior, to bring forth the body of Christ into the world, she is its preeminent member, the greatest member of the body. Without Christ, she's nothing, we're nothing. With Christ, we are greater than the greatest of earthly goods. Mary obviously had to precede her son in order to be his mother. 
I'm sure Jesus could have come into this world another way. He could have started over and formed a new body like he did with Adam. You know, just get some dirt, you know, mix some water in it, build up a new body, breathe it life, and then possess it. But that's not what he chose to do. He wasn't creating a new human race. He wanted to be part of this one. And so he took an existing woman, sanctified her with supernatural grace, and then was born from her body. So Mary is the sacramental or ecclesial precursor to Jesus. One of her titles, I think one of her most beautiful titles, is the dawn. Mary is the dawn. What do we mean by this? Well, every morning, before you see the sun, you can begin to see some of its light. And you're like, oh, okay, it's almost morning. We call that the dawn. You don't see the sun yet, but the light of the sun is just cresting the horizon, enough for you to begin to see the things around you. Mary is the dawn, but Christ is the day. He's the day star. He's the sun in the sky. Mary's not the sun. She doesn't give light to the world. That's her son. That's her son. But she ushers in the sun. That is her role. That's why she is preeminent. She is the one who ushered the sun into the world, not only 2,000 years ago, but she continues to do that even to the present. Our Lord has chosen her in this unique way to be the one who helps prepare the way for his rising. And so in each of our lives, Jesus wants his mother to get us ready for him. Remember, she's the dawn. Hey, my son's coming. Look, this is what we need to do to clean the house and get everything ready for him. He's really important. He's the king of kings. Like a good mother, she wants to make sure we're ready for the Lord, for the Savior. And if you remember this story about St. Juan Diego, I told it again on Friday at Mass. When she began to peer to him under the image of what we know as Our Lady of Guadalupe, it was on a little hill that he used to cross every day when he walked to Mass. He used to go to Mass in what is now Mexico City. And he had to walk several miles to get there. And the shortest route was to go over this hill, Tepeyac. And so he used to cross this hill every day. Well, one day he's going to Mass. And when he gets to the very top of the hill, he hears birds singing. And it's wintertime. He sees flowers. And it's wintertime. And all of a sudden, this beautiful woman appears to him. And they start conversing. Now, she is preparing him. She has a special mission for him. She wants to send him to the local bishop because she wants a shrine created in her honor so that she can help bring more souls to Christ, her son. So she's going to send him on this mission. Next time, he comes back. And he's supposed to come and see her every day. Well, he's at home the next day, and his uncle gets deathly ill. And he realizes, I need to go get a doctor. So he leaves, and he's going towards the city. And again, he has to cross Tepeyac. But he knows, if I go up on that hill, the woman's going to appear to me again. And I'm going to get delayed, and my uncle really, really needs a doctor. So what does he do? He walks around the hill. He takes the long way around. He goes around the hill to circumvent the Blessed Mother. What happens? She walks down the hill and greets him. And she says, my littlest son... What are you doing? Why are you avoiding me? And of course, he's like, my littlest mother, 
That's what he called her, my little mother. She says, no, no, I'm not, I'm not avoiding you. I just, I really need to get to the, to the city. I have to get a doctor. My uncle is sick. She says, my child, am I not here with you? Am I not your mother? Don't be anxious or worried about anything. Don't you stand in my shadow? Aren't you enfolded in my mantle, in my arms? I will take care of your uncle. And he was miraculously healed at that moment. And then she sends him back up the hill to get the roses and to the bishop, and that's where we get the tilma. Now these words to Our Lady were spoken to certainly Juan, Diego, this great saint, but she's the mother of us all. Jesus gave her to us as mother from the cross. Son, behold your mother, mother your son. She wants to have the same relationship that she has with Juanito, little Juan, her little son, with each one of her children. But she can't force that relationship upon us. We have to invite her in. We have to turn to her. I mean, she might not obtain a miraculous healing for our uncle every time we ask, but the message is still the same. What are you afraid of? What are you worried about? Am I not your mother? Am I not going to take care of things? Stop worrying so much. And I thought it was appropriate to share another story with you. And I've shared this before in a homily. When I was in seminary in Philadelphia, one of the local priests from Philadelphia was giving us a, a retreat. And he told us one day, he, when he was first assigned to one of the parishes in the, in the city, uh, it was a big parish, but a small church. Uh, there were three priests there, the pastor himself and a retired priest. And on like a normal Sunday or on big solemnities, they would usually have to have like seven masses just to accommodate all of the people. So throughout the day, these seven masses. And between three priests, they could usually do it, and it wasn't overwhelming. Church law says that a priest cannot celebrate more than three masses in a day ordinarily. Obviously, there are extraordinary cases. And there's also another law. At every Sunday Mass, and on every Holy Day of Obligation Mass, the, the minister is required to preach. It is law. I, I commit a grave sin if I don't do it. So it's law. I don't have to preach on daily Masses, but for solemnities, for high feasts, for Sundays, I have to preach. It's required. The people need to hear the message of the Gospel. They have a right to it. So I have to give it. So. He was telling us about on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, one year, they had their normal seven masses scheduled for that day. And it was really hot that day for some reason. And his church didn't have air conditioning. So they had all the windows of the church open and the front doors propped open just to try to let some air in. And the pastor had to go out of town that day. So he couldn't help celebrate any of the masses. And the retired priest got sick. So Father had to celebrate seven Masses. Now I want to tell you, the most I've ever celebrated in a day was five. Now, because at my pre one of my previous assignments, the pastor got sick and there was nobody else to do it. You have no idea how exhausting that is. Like, no idea. It is one of the most draining things in the world. And on top of just celebrating Mass, giving out communion, but having to preach 
five times. I have no memory of celebrating the last two masses. Like no memory. The only thing I remember is crying at the altar because I was so exhausted. <laughs> so he was telling us this story. He's, he's alone there. He's got to do it. So one after another, he's celebrating his masses and he's preaching his sermon. And by the fifth one, he's like, I, I can't do this anymore. By the sixth, he's just begging God to take him. Just, Lord, that's it. Just take me now. So finally, it's the last mass of the day. He knows I can finally rest after this one. He was so tired, so worn out, that when he began the mass, he had the intention not to preach. He's like, look, I know it's a lot of the church, but I'm sorry, the church can get over it. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm not going to preach. Plus, he was hot. You know, he's dressed in all these vestments, and the church didn't have air conditioning. He's like, I can't do this again. But after he finishes the gospel, his conscience pricks him very sorely. He's like, it's the feast of Our Lady. I have to. Fine. He kind of gives in and he preaches a sermon. And this is the sermon that he said to this extent. He said, brothers and sisters, blessed mother, she's all our mother. She loves us. She wants to intercede for us. But we have to turn to her. We have to invite her into our lives. If we don't do that, she won't force her, her maternity upon us. So just look up to her. If you're in need, if you're suffering, if you're in despair, just look up to Mary because she's already looking down upon you with love. So just look up to her. That was the sermon. He went on with the mass. Yada, 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 it's all over. So he goes to the sacristy and he's finally sitting down. He gets a few minutes of quiet and suddenly a young woman walks into his sacristy, never seen her before. And it was very inappropriate for anyone to just come into the sacristy unannounced. But he was a little afraid because she must have been in her 20s, but she was very disheveled. Messy hair, dirty face, raggedy clothes, clearly had been living on the streets of Philadelphia. And he was afraid he was going to get mugged in the sacristy by this woman. So he, he's on guard. He doesn't know what's happening. And she just looks him dead in the face. And she says, Father, is it true? And he says, is, is what true? What, what you said at Mass that if we just look up to Mary, that she'll, she'll protect us, she'll help us. And he was a little taken aback. He was like, yes, it's, it's true. And the girl starts crying, just, just weeping. And he, he, you know, his paternal instinct kicked in. He sat her down, and he was trying to comfort her, and they started talking. And this is the story that she said. She's been homeless for years and years, had a very terrible childhood, very broken young woman lived a very bad life on the streets. And that morning, she had finally decided to end her life. She couldn't do it anymore. She was walking on her way to, to kill herself when she walked by the church, and she heard him preaching. She heard him preaching. She heard those words, and it gave her hope. So she went in, and she sat through the rest of Mass, and then she went up afterwards to talk with him. Of course, he talked to her for several hours, eventually helped her get the help that she needed, and completely turned her life around. It saved her life and, and even possibly her soul. All because he did what the church said and preached. Now, he was sharing this with us seminarians. And he said to us, if you think about it for a moment, this was a very holy day, of the church. That's why we had so many masses. It was a very hot day, which is why we had the windows and doors open. Without them open, she would never have heard the message. 
She just happened to be walking by the church at that time when I was preaching the homily that I was very tempted not to preach because I was so exhausted, and yet my conscience pricked me. He says, I am thoroughly convinced that the mother of God who loved this child of God so much obtained the grace for me to do what I should have done and just preach, to make sure that this young woman would have a chance. That all of this worked out beautifully, exactly as God wanted for the salvation of one soul, just one soul. I have seen this in my own ministry. Our Lord and Our Lady doing amazing things just to save a soul. And those are extraordinary circumstances. So imagine how much easier it will be for you and for me to be saved if we don't wait for them to perform miracles and just turn to them trustingly. Remember these words, because they're spoken to you. Am I not with you? Am I not your mother? You should not be worried or anxious about anything. Do you not stand in my shadow? Are you not enfolded in my mantle? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.